served cold. This is about the ugly whore you heard about. I think this song is more mature and truly shows my feelings. And then maybe this is why he doesn't center his music. Raunchy. You did this for what? Why not? Why? Why not? Why though? It's revenge. You asked him if he wanted to get engaged. Well, Facebook engaged. I call myself Trina the Natural because I have a Barbie doll body and it's all real. LOL. What? why everyone's jumping down my throat. Just let it freaking happen. Who's tagged as Matt Lowe? It's a goof. The father is tagged as Matt Lowe, as opposed to the son. I still feel that connection. <laughs> you do? Yeah. It's hard. No, you're completely justified. Uh, it reminds me that what I'm doing is weird. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 31 of 42 Minutes of Reality. I'm Mike, back with my co-host, JS. Hello, everyone. Got some disappointing news for some fans of the podcast, though. When I originally started this podcast, I was told that JS stood for Jerry Springer, and I thought I was in an online podcasting relationship with a celebrity. We are going on, there's some red flags. For some reason, his voice sounded different than it did on TV. So I hired some investigators, and I found out it was just my friend from college pulling my leg. Sorry. All I can really say is I was bullied a lot as a child. <laughs> and that's yeah. really what led me to this today. <laughs> Things got raw, but luckily the producers were able to bring us back for this last photo op. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we did the MTV show Catfish. Mm-hmm. Catfish colon the TV show as opposed to Catfish colon the documentary, which was a distinction I was not aware of before watching this show. Nor was I. I knew what a catfish was, uh-huh. you know, beyond a fish. Sure. For those who are tuning in and don't know, it's someone who, you know, represents themselves as someone else in an online relationship. Yeah. And I knew what that was, but I had never seen the documentary nor the show. So this was all new to me. Yeah. So this originally appeared on MTV in 2012. We watched the first season. And we watched it on Hulu. And we both watched the same set of episodes. We watched episodes one through four, and then we skipped ahead head to seven and eight and we also watched the reunion special at the end of the season yep yep and i feel like that got us a pretty good slice yeah. of what this show is about it turns out the episodes tend to be pretty formulaic in terms of the narrative structure and it's really just putting in you know different players each time as the catfisher and the catfishy yeah, that was definitely particularly the case with the first two. They kind of do little iterations on the formula, but yeah, mm-hmm. they hit a lot of the same beats throughout. Yep. But yeah, since you picked this one for us, JS, you want to run down what some of those beats are that go on throughout the episodes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To give a little bit of background that Mike alluded to, this project, this television show, was apparently born out of the documentary that the gentleman Neve made in which he was catfished. He was in an online relationship with a woman who turned out to be not who she said she was. It turned out to be, as one might expect in these situations, was both older and you know, less conventionally attractive sure. than yeah. the woman was presenting herself online. You know, he had used pictures from some other woman. And again, I haven't seen the documentary. But the show, at least, you know, builds upon that. He mentions it in the intro to every show. And in this, he takes the position that, you know, he's been through this. He's lived this. He can provide sort of guidance or assistance to others who may be going through it as well. So Mm -hmm. each episode is set up sort of as a question. Is the person being catfished? It's certainly suggested given not only the title of the show, but the circumstances in which each person says they're in. Most often, you know, the people who are purportedly contacting the are saying, you know, oh, I've been in this online relationship for, you know, three months, six months, 12 months, two years, but, you know, I've never met them in person. We've never Skyped, you know, video Skyped. We never video chatted. And I've got some questions. Mm. So he goes and travels with his buddy Max, who's some sort of filmmaker. And of course, there's a crew who follows them, who's mm-hmm. also taping the interactions. And they go and they meet the person who's afraid they're being catfish. And even Max do some online research, which includes, you know, just Googling the person, trying to track down contacts, trying to, you 
you know, reverse Google image search the photos that are purportedly of the person who's communicating with them. And so really trying to just do some investigation and suss out mm-hmm. who this person actually is, which then culminates usually, you know, towards the middle of the episode in a face-to-face meeting between the catfishy and the catfisher. And I think in every episode we watched, you know, there of course was catfishing going on. No one was quite who they said they were. The third one was the one exception where the person oh. was actually who they said they were. True, true, yes. And, of course, there's something hidden there, right? Why had these yeah. people never met? And it's the gentleman was morbidly overweight. Yeah, just embarrassing. Really, really well. large guy. He's been doing great, apparently, in the reunion show. We find out he's lost you know, even more weight, hundreds and hundreds of pounds. So he's, he's on the track towards wellness. But the overall narrative beat here is you know, there's something different or perhaps a completely different person than who they mm. believe they were speaking to. Neve and Max bring them together. There's this moment of shock. They can't believe this. Then usually Neve and Max sit down with the catfisher and they talk about, you know, why do they do this mm-hmm. try to dig into sort of their past you know why are they presenting themselves as someone else online then there's just a moment where the two people get back together the catfish or the catfishy they sort of work things out a little bit you know maybe leave on friendly terms and then each episode ends with sort of a recap that is you know anywhere from three six twelve months later that says you know oh they haven't met since then but they communicate online occasionally and the catfisher mm-hmm. is no longer catfishing anyone else they've deleted all their fake internet profiles now yeah. so that sort of i think encapsulates the overall narrative arch of each episode anything i sort of left out there mike no i think you did a pretty good job of recapping the episodes are yeah definitely very much following kind of an almost assembly line formula each time Mm -hmm. but yeah maybe we could move into our impression of the hosts Sure, sure. I'm happy to take this again since I chose this one. Then you can sort of fill in with what you disagree or things I didn't quite cover. So the hosts are two, I'd call them 20-somethings, maybe their early 30s, certainly younger gentlemen. Neve, who was the one who was part of that original documentary in which he was catfished, Mm -hmm. which I'm actually intrigued to see now, having watched the show, and I'm wondering sort of what brought it about. But he saw some success there. And then he travels with his buddy slash filmmaker, Max, who who assists him with some of the investigation, also does a lot of handheld camera work. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, which may be jumping ahead a little bit, but I think it's something we need to talk about, yeah. is that, of course, there's a regular crew following them around as well, yeah. who is filming both Neve and Max. So there's this camera-in-camera camera sort of... Yeah. sense to it where there's oftentimes you do see shots that are directly from max but mm-hmm. there's oftentimes shots that is of course max holding a camera filming neve and the catfishy doing something which i imagine is to air this extra sense of authenticity that yes. you can see max there with a the camera but he's also involved he's more than just a cameraman he's involved in this and besides them it's really just new people every episode i mean i'm assuming a lot of the crew's the same but we don't interact with the crew other than neve and max every episode so the only other speaking roles we see are the those of the catfishy, the catfisher, and usually friends and family of the catfishy. We don't get a whole lot of interaction with other persons in the episodes. Yeah. Yeah, my impression of their roles, they have a dual role in this. There's mm-hmm. their role as the investigators trying to get to the bottom of this mystery, which <laughs> oftentimes isn't much of a mystery at all, given the <laughs> conceit of the show. And right. as counselors or therapists, once they do bring the two together, they're both trying to talk to the catfisher, get a sense of their motivation, and also trying to console the person who's been catfished and i think mm-hmm. this is a big part of where neve's history with the documentary comes in it kind of gives him his authority and the justification for the show's mission where it's not just intruding into these people's lives because mm-hmm. he has that purported authenticity of having been there before and because i've been through this i can help guide you through this to a similar outcome because right. i don't remember if you mentioned this one of the things in the documentary that's mentioned in every intro is the fact that at least supposedly according to him that he and the person who catfished him later became friends even after he found Mm -hmm. that right right so this show's kind of trying to recreate that narrative yep and I think this is an important point to jump in and say, this ran contrary to my expectations for the show. And again, I came in oh, okay. not a whole lot in terms mm-hmm. of expectations. I knew what a catfish was. I knew that it had something to do with people being duped in terms of online dating. Yeah. But I hadn't seen any of the episodes. I had never read about them. I had never seen the documentary. And I have just a little bit of background with some MTV sort of reality shows. Mm-hmm. And my past experience with those, I've always thought there was a bit of, I'm just going to say a mean streak, and maybe that's not the best 
best way to phrase sure. it. But I was surprised how kind-hearted this show was. Mm-hmm. And again, this is just my expectations coming in. I thought it was going to be more in lines of a show where they were like pointing fingers at people and saying, ha ha, you're so dumb. How did you fall for this? Sure. And it would never quite portray that way. So it was almost refreshing in a way because I came in thinking, I'm really going to dislike this show, but I thought it would be interesting to watch for a podcast. Mm. And I found I didn't dislike it nearly as much just because it was sort of kind-hearted. And though it may not be authentic, and I think we're going to get into that, mm. I was just surprised in the way. And maybe I shouldn't be, and it's just some of how our culture has shifted in the last 10 years sure because i think in particular a lot of the more mtv reality shows of perhaps a decade ago might have taken this in a different direction and been more mean-spirited about it but i found it was at least trying to be ultimately a sort of uplifting show sure yeah it's funny I'll give you a pass since I haven't gotten it up yet as of this recording, but when Dave and I did Super Sweet 16, yep. we did both the original and the rebooted version. Oh, really? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, okay. and the rebooted version does represent that kind of shift to a more kind-hearted reality hmm. shows compared to the original. So mm-hmm. I wasn't super surprised, I guess, as you were. Although, yeah, there is that kind of association with not even just MTV, but reality TV in general is having kind of winning streak but i had some conflicting feelings about it that i'm sure we'll get to at the appropriate time sure sure but if there's nothing left oh and there's i guess one thing i don't know how much research you did on the host's personal lives uh no apparently there are a couple controversies with neve apparently there was a me too type deal where Hmm. There's some claims. I guess the show investigated them and found them to be not credible. I guess it depends on how much you trust the show to do their own investigation. Then he made a tweet about something. It was like, black girls rule, but you guys catfish a lot. Just saying. Which (laughs) was maybe not the smartest thing to tweet out. Oh, jeez. So it's kind of funny because this show really puts out this front facing that he's this like super nice, kind hearted, empathetic guy. And maybe Mm -hmm. he is, but there's definitely been a couple of things in his personal life that maybe belie that presentation. Yeah, no, I hadn't looked into any of that, so I didn't realize that. But yeah, so you want to, we're not going to go episode by episode, but if there's any particular ones that stood out to you, or maybe we can just give like brief sentence recaps of each one or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, sure. How you so as Mike said, we watched the first three, I'm sorry, first four, episodes one through four, and then I watched episodes seven, eight, and then the recap. Did you watch them in that order? I did. Okay, that's interesting, because I watched the first three, and then I was, like, wanting to find a one with a male, because the first three were females. So then I jumped to episode seven, which I originally thought was episode eight, (laughs) when I was talking with you before the show, because it was a guy, and it had just, like, the funniest little, you know, episode blurb on it. Right, the episode blurb, for those who are wondering, is... Joe was skeptical when former Miss Teen USA, (laughs) Carrie Ann Paniche, sent him a friend request. Now, after months of intense communication, Joe thinks it might be the real Carrie Ann, and that he might also have found love with her. Yeah, so I watched those ones, and then I skipped to the reunion, because I was thinking, well, I'm just going to watch those. And then, when I saw the reunion, the Jasmine one looked interesting, and that ended up being episode four, so I went back and watched that. And then when we were talking before the show, you mentioned watching episode eight, so I just added that one to make sure that we have that complete. Sure, sure, sure. So the ones I certainly want to talk about are, I think, one, three, and seven really stick out to me. One, I think, just because it's the first one, to give you a brief recap, it's this woman, Sonny, who has been talking to this person who purports to be Jameson, this, like, model and TV writer, and the things that she tells him are just, like, you know, ridiculous, that he writes for Chelsea Handler, that he's an anesthesiologist, that he's also a model that works in LA and New York and London, and, I mean, it's just, like, come on, girl. Yeah. And then they talk to Jameson on the phone, and, you know, I'm going to... I don't know about you, but I'm immediately thinking this is either a 14-year-old boy or a woman. Yeah. Just the voice did not match the pictures. And it turns out it's a woman. And so that was a bit of a shock. But it follows the same narrative structure we were talking about in terms of investigation. They meet, they're shocked, and they kind of sort of talk about it. And the girl, I can't remember her name, but who was playing Jameson. What was it? Chelsea. Chelsea, thank you. She talks about how sort of in this confessional Mm -hmm. to Neve, she talks about how, you know, she was bullied as a kid and she did not handle her bisexuality. Mm -hmm. And that's really driving what she does in terms of making fake profiles. So I thought that was interesting. 
you're right. Episode three was very interesting because it was the one that it really wasn't a catfish, so to speak. Yeah. And the guy was honest in who he was. He just wasn't completely honest about his current physical condition because he was yeah. just so massively overweight. So that was kind of nice, though, because they get her out to meet him and they do have a good time meeting each other. And mm-hmm. it was pretty wholesome. Yeah. And then seven was awesome because... <laughs> Anyone who's listening to this podcast is like, man, what episode should I watch? I want to watch one. Watch seven. Yeah. I'm going to tell you. I think it was the best by far because, again, as Mike talked about, so it's Joe who believes he's talking to a Miss Teen USA. Mm-hmm. And then it sounds like you're like, no way. This is bullshit. Yeah. Neve and Max get on the case, do some investigation on Facebook, and they're like, this could be her. Mm-hmm. They realize that she's actually friended on Facebook with this guy who's her manager. Yeah. And they call the manager and he's like, she's friended to the right person. Mm-hmm. They call the manager manager's like, I don't know about her personal life. Why are you calling me? Blah, blah, blah. And this is like her publicity manager or whatever. Uh-huh. They talk to another friend that seems to corroborate her. And they're thinking, just like, holy shit, like this mm. guy may actually be talking to her. Everything they track down seems to corroborate that it's really her. Yeah. And to give you an idea, Joe is, this guy's living in upstate New York, mm. working, like has, you know, horses. His parents have horses on the land. It seems to be kind of more of a country boy. So it's a little confusing as to why Miss Teen USA from LA is having an honor relationship with him. But everything seems to be working out. And then, you know, when the meet and greet finally comes, turns out, yeah, it's not Carrie and Paniche, the former Miss Teen USA. It's one of Joe's friends who actually met with Neve and Max, but still managed to, you know, keep it straight and fool them on the telephone. And it's just actually her who's apparently is interested in Joe, but, you know, also has this thing that she likes to make all these fake profiles and again we have this confessional moment she talks about how you know she thinks it's an issue but she doesn't know how to deal with it and she likes all the profiles she has and talking to all these other men and to me that was just the most interesting because i was like oh my god like is this the one that's gonna buck the trend and like uh-huh. you know it's not actually catfishing how awesome would that be but it still ended up pretty pretty awesome yeah and then the reunion was good too but i'll let you jump in mike and you can add or you know talk about any of the others yeah we'll definitely talk about when we go into authenticity episode seven quite a bit more because i did Sure. sleuthing on that one but okay, okay. in terms of the other episodes that you didn't cover yep, yep. episode two is uh exotic dancer trina the yep. natural who mm-hmm. thinks that she is in an online relationship with a male exotic dancer named scorpio but then it ends up just being the regular dude who lives in her area named lee who apparently was like the manager for the exotic dancer and then started using his pictures and then episode eight was very similar to episode one. There tends to be two dominant stories. There's the person who is gay or bisexual and kind of coming to terms with that. And so mm-hmm. using the profile of the opposite sex in order to right. interact with people they're attracted with. Or it's like someone who's kind of more regular looking, older, using a picture of a younger more handsome person to get in touch with someone who they had a crush on those are like you know out of the episodes we watched that was mostly what was there the most of the motivations although episode four was different in that it was jasmine who was in a relationship with someone named mike but when it came time it was actually somebody who she knew who was dating her ex boyfriend named missy who Mm -hmm. created the profile basically out of revenge and i think that one was interesting because it was the one where there wasn't that reconciliation that took place that there was still (laughs) as you could probably understand (laughs) some animosity between the two participants that continues all the way to the reunion (laughs) yes And so, yeah, so the final thing we watched was the reunion episode in which they bring in the highlights from the season. They do some kind of listener Q&A with Neve and Max. And so what was your impression of the reunion episode? Did it change your reading of any of the episodes that you watched? That was the thing you watched last, I assume. It was, but I don't think it did. Uh-huh. But here's the thing. So we always do a little bit of outside research about the shows. And sure. I think I got to tip my hat to Mike this week because he certainly did more than I did. And he had sent me some things to read. And I read them, just a short article you sent me, Mike, about uh-huh. authenticity before yeah. I watched the reunion show. Oh, okay. So, you know, I'm always a bit skeptical, right? Sure. It's just the nature of the beast having, you know, what, not that I've been involved in every single one, but we're in episode 30 something. So I've watched, uh-huh. you know, 25 plus shows with you at this point. Yeah. And just being a naturally skeptical nature to begin with. 
with. So I'm always somewhat skeptical watching these shows, but I think I was buying into them more than I perhaps should have. And then okay. you sent me the article, which really kind of smashed any sort of pretense <laughs> I had that some of this was true. And then I watched the reading show very skeptical or very perturbed, sort of almost a little disappointed. Okay. I feel like I had fell for it. You know what I mean? So I watched it very critically. So you felt like the catfishies on the show? I did. I did. Maybe I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was actually the next question I was going to ask you what your take on the authenticity was before reading the article. Yeah. So you took it pretty much at face value then? Other than like the usual deceptive editing accoutrements. Yes. I say that's the accurate way to say it. I took it at pretty much face value. I knew, of course, there would be editing things. I figured some of the dialogue was prompted in some way, but I thought mm. as a whole, the alleged relationships were true as being expressed in the show. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, I, I then watched it with quite disdain, the reunion show, just having been soured at that point. Uh, okay. Just to get it out there, since we're kind of beating around the bush, yeah. one of the things Mike found and sent to me was this article talking about how, to rewind as well, most of the episodes start, I think all of them in fact do, uh-huh. with what purports to be Neve in a hotel room, probably, you know, finishing up an assignment somewhere else, and he gets an email from someone that says, Neve, I'm in the same type of situation you were. I think I'm being catfished. Can yeah. you help me? And then he Skypes the person, and we get a little video chat, and they say, yeah, hi, Neve. I live out in such and such a place, and I've been in an relationship with this other person for six months, and do you think you can help me? And he says, sure, Max, you know, let's go. Yeah. And Mike sends me a circle that tells me, you know, none of that is true. What actually happens most of the time is the person doing the catfishing is the person who reaches out to MTV and says, I'm catfishing this person. You should come out and do a show on us. Yeah. Which then just disappointed the hell out of me because then any of that pretense of not knowing if it's true or not, trying to set up this meet and the catfisher not knowing quite what's going on Uh is completely fabricated at that point. And so, yeah, I was very disappointed when I found that out. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it as well, Mike. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, I was kind of in the same boat. You'd think, you know, (laughs) like I said, having watched so many of these shows that I would be more skeptical. But I knew that there was probably some editing. And the show was so formulaic and so clean that you knew that, you know, especially like the reconciliation. I knew that they were coaching people. And there were always these red flags where I was kind of like, it's so weird that they're able to get the catfish to agree with this. Like, why don't they just peace out? But I'm thinking, well, maybe there's some type of... I knew there was something going on. And then mm-hmm. once I found out it was the catfisher that contacted, everything just kind of like snapped into place. But <laughs> I did take it kind of more or less at face value. And I watched the reunion before reading the article, which mm-hmm. I should mention. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's on Hollywood.com. It's called Is Catfish Catfishing America or something like that. And mm-hmm. so I watched the reunion, though. And even the reunion kind of gives you a sense that perhaps the narrative that they're pushing is not totally (laughs) accurate. Because with a couple exceptions, I think the main one was Matt and Kim, who were already friends from episode three. There was definitely a lot more distance between the two people from the episodes than the afterward summary, they remain friends, blah, 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 would lead you to catch on. Especially with the first one, Sonny and Chelsea. There's definitely, I would say, you know, understandably, quite a bit of animosity coming from Sonny that I think Mm -hmm. they tried to kind of iron out when they were doing this show. Right. It's funny, though, I uh, (laughs) to tell you, I was also, when we were doing the episode seven with Carrie and Panish, Mm -hmm. I also was kind of (laughs) like, this tells you both the power of television as a narrative (laughs) for inducing credulity and my cynical nature. I thought that perhaps there was some chance that it was actually her. But I thought if it was that it was going to be some like Truman Show publicity stunt. (laughs) <laughs> to like resuscitate her career or get some publicity or something like that because joe i don't want to be mean but there's no way right <laughs> well, okay here's what i thought yeah i thought it was going to be true but i thought frankly and this is going to sound sexist or whatever that she was going to have like put on a lot of weight since then oh you know, like, okay yeah had a couple kids or like you know hit the bottom of the barrel because she's been on drugs and is trying to rehab and uh, i don't know i thought there was going to be something weird too right but uh, i still thought this is really going to be her and wow that's like crazy so i did fall for it yeah yeah 
But it's funny that particular episode because one of the things also is that they're trying to push this narrative. And I read some stuff about how some catfishers said that their motivations were misrepresented. And so yeah. I did some sleuthing. So the narrative in that episode is Rose, the person who catfishes him, supposedly does it because she wants to be in a relationship with him. Which yeah. I have to say, I wasn't buying just from her presentation because it seemed like if she wanted to be in a relationship, she would have been more apologetic. But mm -hmm. <laughs> I went on her Instagram, which mentions that she was on the show Catfish, and I found a post where she was posing by MTV, and mm -hmm. someone commented, I didn't take down the comment from the person berating her, but she said something like, how could you do that to that poor boy? Mm -hmm. And so this is her response, I took it down, I'll read it to you verbatim, and <laughs> you could give your reaction. That poor boy is a disgusting excuse for a human. He's a degenerate. He dated my stepsister and abused her. So not really poor boy. More like he deserved to get his face kicked in. But they didn't show that part because they wanted me to look a certain way for television. Like the cold-hearted bitch. Oh well, so sad no one knows the real story about that hillbilly inbred cockfuck. <laughs> wow. It's harsher than I expected. Yeah. So, and I don't know, maybe there's the main thing I've taken away from doing this show, because we also did on the Super Sweet 16, I found an interview where someone was basically claiming that Sweet 16 was doing the Bradzilla's treatment tour, doing like mm -hmm. reshoots and stuff like that. Sure. There's always this Rashomon effect where I know reality TV is bullshit, but because so many of the people look a certain way, look bad, there's all this motivation to do damage control. So I'm not quite sure to what extent I should believe the people's stories. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That one was interesting because it kind of shows how, and you know, I picked up on this from just watching the show, how they were trying to fit people into certain narratives, but even down to the motivations, like we said, there's usually the person who's, you know, closeted or the person who has this desire for a romantic connection that they're trying to fulfill through these fake profiles. Yeah, it's weird <laughs> yeah and i also gotta say about that episode so according mm -hmm. to the article they say that the catfish has contacted the producers yeah and the producers know the whole time but supposedly according to the article neve and max are not looped in on this so that the investigative process is authentic but either that's not the case or they're really bad at this because with that episode first of all okay i admit i didn't recognize rose's voice on the phone and connect it to her talking to them yep. at the amusement park or whatever but yep. i also only heard her for like 10 seconds whereas they were presumably talking to her <laughs> for a couple hours you think they would have recognized her voice but right. the other thing is i did some research on carrie and panish <laughs> so according to her wikipedia article in 2011 she was currently married at the time yep. <laughs> but apparently she was going through problems and so her main claim to fame was she was it wasn't a sex tape exactly but she was like nude in the tape with these other two quasi celebrities and there was some intimation that there was a threesome and she was also in a bunch of reality shows i think the titles <laughs> kind of give the game away <laughs> sex rehab with doc Dr. Drew, Celebrity Rehab, and Sober House. <laughs> so they're doing all this investigation, but they never thought to go look at her Wikipedia page and be like, oh, she's married or she's been on all these reality shows. <laughs> That never occurred to them. So right. either they're really bad at investigating or the investigations are just kind of bullshit and just going to fit them into whatever narrative they have pre-established. Yeah. Frankly, I don't believe that they have been told yeah. Neve and Max. Well, here's the thing I wonder. Mm -hmm. Have they told the catfishy? Okay, yes. That's kind of what I wanted to go to. Because to me, they say they don't tell the catfish she. And I actually believe it. Because a lot of the yeah. show, you know, seems very constructed and inauthentic. But yeah. I thought one part that did actually seem very authentic, even after reading the articles and having, you know, the curtain lifted, so to speak. Yep. Mm -hmm. That first meeting, the ones where they bring them back together afterwards to like make up and all of that, that didn't feel yep. authentic to me at all. But that mm -hmm. first meeting felt very authentic to me. Yeah. And honestly, kind of made me a little bit uncomfortable. Like, you know, we did Maury last time, and I know you had feelings about that. And yep. I feel like this show is more well-meaning, but it 
made me feel more uncomfortable because it was more well-meaning. Because hmm. everybody's so humanized on this show, even the people who are doing the catfishing. Yeah. I remember one time I was taking a creative writing class in high school. I don't think my teacher came up with this. I think she was using somebody else's thing. But she said comedy equals pain plus distance. So mm-hmm. like with Maury, I found a lot of it pretty funny. If I didn't think about it too much, if, you know, if you think about it more, they're like real people going through suffering feel bad about thinking it's funny but i think it just goes to the different approaches of the show where in maury the people coming on the show are just kind of like cogs in this machine Mm -hmm. whereas with this you really got to know the person so when you saw what seemed to be a pretty authentic distress it felt kind of weird and uncomfortable Sure, sure. I agree it was uncomfortable, and I wasn't as much bothered by it until I read the article you sent me, because Mm. when I was first buying into the narrative they were selling me, it was, okay, I have someone who's skeptical, thinks this may not be working out, Yeah, Neve and Max are flying in to help them, and it may not be helping them in the way they would ultimately like, because they would like it to be real, Mm. but they're at least helping them. And my thought, I don't think that they're telling the catfishies either, because I found most of their reactions appeared authentic to me, particularly going back to even just the first episode. Mm. I thought Sunny's reaction was very authentic and maybe yeah. she's just a better actress than I give her credit for but given how she acted in the reunion episode like you said it wasn't really ironed out I think she still has issues yeah. with how she felt taken advantage of and I think that part's authentic so then having read the article you sent me I was more bothered than in retrospect going oh my god so they've known the entire time that this isn't at all who they've said they are that they're going to be yeah. hurting her and not that it'd make it better but if they were being completely forthright right they could say oh yeah no she contacted us and it's not jameson it's this girl chelsea Mm. is it better television no of course not that's not why they do it that way but yeah i was more you know not concerned i was more bothered by it having read that article and realizing that the show is withholding that information to the catfishies just to make the narrative better for the show yeah i wrote my notes i thought the fact that it's the catfisher and not the catfishy doing the contacting really throws into question the entire ethical justification underpinning the show because you're not helping someone find out the truth about their problems you're kind of just thrusting someone in and basically just taking advantage of their emotional distress or television which i mean maury does the same thing but i feel like they're more upfront about it i almost would have felt better about this show i don't know have you ever seen the show cheaters Mm. <laughs> Cheaters is pretty great. It's completely fake. And I feel like you can do this real. You'd have to fake it. But mm-hmm. this show would be in some ways better if it was like they found the catfishers who are doing like the scummiest type of thing. Like have to be someone completely unsympathetic, like someone doing like a financial scam. Mm-hmm. And then did PI stuff where they, you know, scouted out their house and then they went back to the catfishy and like, okay, this is what we found out. Do you want to go confront them and then go with the cat? recruit to be like fuck you you fucking took advantage (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that'd be something else yeah and i agree though i think recognizing that the narrative underpinning the show like you said is the inverse of what they're selling us makes the entire show then sour in my mouth where instead how i said i found it so wholesome in some ways and way more uplifting than reading that article of recognizing it's not authentic i thought they're just taking advantage of them just like you said yeah the show would have been better if they would have let rose get her instagram on and just call joe a hillbilly and red cock fuck on (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) So, you know, I think we both probably agree then. The show, here's the thing. It's well made. Yeah. The show is very well made. It is edited well. It's got, you know, catchy little pop songs that I didn't recognize, but, you know, were like alt-rock pop songs to go along when they're traveling. It makes it seem like Neve and Max are having a great time as they're traveling and then Uh helping these people out. It's shot well, edited well. The narratives are this compelling. It's a good piece of television. Uh Uh-huh filmmaking it's bad tv though i gotta say because i just knowing it's not authentic really just sours the whole thing for me yeah i don't know it didn't really sour it as much for me because mm-hmm. even though i bought into it somewhat yeah. i wasn't super surprised when i found out because it just it makes everything make more sense that the catfisher yeah. would be so willing to meet up like the whole thing kind of hinges on that because i feel like if they were getting people who were catfished as opposed to the other way around the show would be they would try to establish contact with the person doing the catfishing and the catfisher would just 
kind of ghost them and it wouldn't be a show. Right, right. I agree. But here's, I guess, I recognizing that my thought was, man, they must do this a lot to catch, you know, to put out 12 episodes <laughs> sure. a year that they can film and actually make a good TV show about. And going in, I didn't, you know, until I actually sat and watched them, I didn't recognize that each 42 minutes would be one couple. Yeah. You know, let's say there could be a lot more strikeouts and they yeah. just put more of the strikeouts in and intersperse them with ones where they actually met. Sure. But I guess my biggest problem with the show is going in, I'm expecting that moment, like you said, where they confront them and you get this moment of retribution is too strong a word, but at least unmasking of the catfisher where we can have the catfishy have that moment of truth and feel something positive out of this moment but then recognizing that half of that equation is false and it's the equation that still leaves the catfishy as the victim mm -hmm. and the catfisher is manipulating the entire thing not only because it appears that some of these as we said seem to be authentic reactions to realizing they're not who they say they are yeah. which then working it backwards least believe that a lot of these fake relationships are real fake relationships and that mm -hmm. there really is real catfishing going on so that it all appears to be authentic on the side of one party and it's that part of you that just continues being hurt throughout this filming. And that's what really bothered me is that I went in thinking, well, if mm. both sides of this are authentic, then we're going to sure. have this moment where suddenly the catfisher is exposed and is vulnerable and will have that moment of relief knowing that they've got their comeuppance in some way. Mm -hmm. But recognizing that that side of the equation isn't authentic, it just buries even more, hurts even more the catfishy. Does that make sense? Sure. I don't know if I'd say that the catfisher never gets their comeuppance. I mean, they still have to go on yeah. national TV and <laughs> kind of spill their shit out into the world. They're definitely right, like more informed. Terms. Yeah, they're more informed. But at the yeah. same time, for them, it'd be a lot easier to just ghost out. You know what I mean? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. To me, it's still, you're right, I guess, they do have to have that moment, but it's still on their terms, so I guess you don't see that vulnerability, which I was well, hoping to see. Well, it's not really sort of on dunks. their terms, though, because like I mentioned with Rose, they basically, the, you know, tried to fold her narrative into fitting yeah. what they wanted to do. I know Aaron, the one from episode eight, he didn't go on the reunion show because he felt that MTV had misrepresented him in some way. So it's not just her. So it was something that seemed to cross up quite a bit so yeah. it's not okay. really on the catfisher's terms it's really more on the show's terms and mm -hmm. i agree that it's pretty unethical but i mean i don't know it's reality tv for you i guess yeah yeah no and that's true i'm overstating it and you are right that they don't come out unblemished i guess it just bothered me recognizing that sure. for most of it the catfish or is still the one with power throughout that sort of relationship yeah i guess you know in terms of ethics the thing that maybe bothered me the most about it is not the fact mm -hmm. that it was unethical but the mm -hmm. fact that it was putting on this and maybe this is where some of your reactions coming from that it's putting on this false front of trying to help people out yeah yeah no and that's a lot of it too yep but yeah did you want to go into the article next sure. is this a good time to bring it in yeah, as I mentioned earlier, Mike was kind enough to do the bulk of the you know rigorous research we do here on 42 Minutes of Reality, <laughs> and Mike was able to find quite an interesting article that we were able to read for this as well that actually touched directly upon a lot of what we've been talking about. It was an article written by Michael Lovelock called Catching a Catfish, Constructing the Good Social Media User in Reality Television. I believe Lovelock is a student at the University of East Anglia. I didn't say anything in saying that he was anything other than a student. But it was a very interesting paper, yeah. and since Mike was the one who found it, I was going to give him the reins and let him really just give us the outline before we talk about some of the specifics. Sure. Yeah, I finally broke my streak. I had to do a thesis, and then for Sweet 16, I couldn't find anything. <laughs> so <laughs> for this one, I was glad to have found the good article that was on the show in particular. So this is an article that is analyzing this show in terms of how it uses the tropes and conventions of reality TV, which he lists out as authenticity, confession, and self-realization to mm -hmm. stage what amounts to a therapeutic intervention to reform quote-unquote broken individuals who quote-unquote transgress on social media platforms and how social media what is determined to be let's see valid as opposed to invalid uses of it is mm -hmm. constructed just as much by outside media as it is by the platforms themselves and how this show is an example of it and I thought there was some really interesting points in this article. One of the chief 
therapeutic interventions that this show does is getting the catfisher to accept themselves or analyze what's going on in their life that leads them to go into this behavior. And a lot of times it does have something to do, a lot of them are gay and living in rural communities, or they have some type of disability or weight issue. Mm -hmm. But the show never asks the questions of the larger systemic inequalities. It's just trying to get the catfisher to focus on themselves. And the other thing I thought was interesting that he pointed out, that catfishing is kind of the strategy for constructing this sort of fantasy of wealth, beauty, domesticity, etc. And he kind of situates that in terms of the financial crisis that was still occurring at the time the show aired, and Mm -hmm. how this is a show targeted towards younger people, and how this show somewhat represents how those things might be more difficult to attain because of the economic circumstances. And so this therapeutic intervention is not just for the catfisher to delve into accepting themselves, but also using that as a teaching tool for the viewers to use, I don't remember the exact term, but like a strategy of resilience as opposed to a strategy of questioning the overall frame of society. Right, right. I found that second point personally the more interesting of the two in this article. Mm. In particular, how he focuses in on this idea in the narrative of the show where we have this sit down with the catfisher and and there's talk about how they're able to try to accept themselves as who they are and how that's so important and how when we revisit them, they talk about how, you know, oh, I've stopped catfishing. I've closed down on my other screen names. I'm really living my life as me now and I'm feeling better. And this Uh sort of refrain is repeated throughout a lot of that and how he built upon that and recognizing there's this attempt to create create this equivalency mm-hmm. not that there shouldn't be but there's at least this attempt to make an equivalency between a sense of self as there is between as mike was getting at sort of the traditional markers of success like yeah. financial independence or career oriented job or something like that that there is this other intangible thing you can reach for as part of adulthood which is you know being comfortable in your own skin maybe is the best yeah. way to put it of living as yourself and i found that really interesting to read it that way uh-huh. And the way that he tied, of course, like you said, the financial crisis and just the crisis that a lot of millennials and mm. younger in Western culture have faced given, you know, relatively high unemployment for many years, yeah. historically speaking, as well as underemployment and just difficulty accessing the sorts of jobs, you know, oftentimes we saw our parents able to access at yeah. these age and the sort of independence they had. And this idea that you can trade some of that for this sense of self-esteem, of self-worth, and that that alone can supplant what you may not be able to achieve that you would see in your parents achieved yeah i know i thought that really compelling you know i don't know if it's true i just thought it was very interesting i don't know what you thought mike yeah i thought it was interesting and i thought Mm -hmm. it was also interesting how he analyzed it catfishing is this extreme example but it's not a complete rupture from maybe what our more normal social media activity would be there's this kind Mm -hmm. of like idea of facebook performance or instagram performance where everyone's always like having a good time or they're only posting about the successes in their life and so if you just depend on you know looking at your facebook wall you might get the impression that everything's going great for everyone else and i'm the only one who's struggling yep because so much of our life is lived online that it can distort our view of how the world actually is Mm -hmm. and you know how well we're doing compared to others and catfishing is this kind of extreme example where you're adopting this entirely different persona in order to project those things but it's still an activity that we to some extent engage in in our own personal lives or even just like online dating obviously it's a bridge further to put somebody else's (laughs) picture up but there's a lot of pressure to like maybe use your best picture and where's the line between using your best picture or you know using a picture that doesn't accurately represent what you look like right now right right it makes me think of that old joke right it's the internet where the men are men the women are men and the children are fbi agents (laughs) (laughs) but no i mean it's i think you're absolutely right that catfishing is one extreme of it but there's this sense that everyone can construct some sort of self through you know self-mediation online in terms of who they present to others and hit the nail on the head this is one tiny slice of that that we see throughout the internet Is there any other thing about the article? I thought one thing, we kind of covered it in terms of the 
recap of the show's structure, but I thought mm-hmm. his analysis of the fact that the camera crew's visible and we yeah. move to the hand cam from Max, mm-hmm. just this extra layer of authenticity that the show's representing. And yep. that was something that struck me about this show that you don't see in a lot of other reality shows. A lot of other yep. reality shows, the crew are very much behind the scenes mm-hmm. and made invisible to the audience. Yep. No, I recognize it right away, you know, five minutes into the first episode. I thought it interesting, and my immediate thought was, why haven't I seen this more? Yeah. And there's plenty of people out there who have watched a lot more reality television than I. But I'd like to think, you know, I'm beginning to get something Mm -hmm. under my belt, so to speak, of having an idea of what reality television is in the West, given how much we've watched and just my regular sort of exposure over the last, you know, 15 years. And so my first thought was, why haven't I seen this more? I mean, I recognized immediately for what it was, a sense to add further authenticity to the show. But I thought it was brilliant in a way. I mean, you get this personal guy on screen that is purportedly filming some of this. And he is, frankly, because yeah. I mean, we see bits and pieces of it from his cameras. And I thought it was a great narrative device. And maybe it just wouldn't fit in some of the other shows we've watched. Mm-hmm. But it made me think, in fact, of like, I think it was what VHS, like there's that horror movie that was purported to be, you know, it was shot as if it was like found footage kinds of things. Uh-huh. It made me think one of them had, I think, something like that, where they're, you know, they showed the camera in it yeah. that was being filmed. And it just sort of builds, I think, this sense of authenticity, like we're saying. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, can you think of any others we've watched for the show that explicitly did that, Mike? Maybe I just can't think of it. (laughs) The only one I can think of that we watched for the show specifically, which is very ironic because it's one of the least authentic shows we've watched, was Bridezilla's. It wasn't an episode that you saw, but Mm -hmm. there was, well, there are two episodes. There is one Mm -hmm. where the crew get thrown out of the car on the way to the wedding. And there's one where there's like a bust up at one of the bridesmaids fittings. And Mm -hmm. you can see the guy holding the camera on screen is like kind of the chaos of the fights going on and then one show that i've seen that also utilized something similar is i watched Mm -hmm. the first season of vanderpump rules and there's a fight out in the parking lot and Mm -hmm. during the fight you can see cameramen running to get out of the way or something like that so Mm -hmm. i've definitely seen this technique used before to establish authenticity Mm -hmm. but i hadn't seen it be so prominent I just thought of another one. I've seen it where it's not quite, but Uh much more than any other show I've seen. Dirty Jobs. Okay. Dirty Jobs, which I've watched quite a bit of. Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. Mike will frequently interact with the cameramen, and it seems authentic. You know, he's Mm -hmm. talking, he's joking with them. They're climbing into things with them. And so there's explicitly shots where we see the cameraman getting into tight quarters, getting Mm -hmm. down and dirty to film Mike doing something that's dirty on the Dirty Job. But that's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that did it or, you know, showed it and it worked well. Yeah. And what did you think of the article writer's thesis of reality TV and its tropes and conventions in some ways fitting like a glove in this overall mission of, you know, constructing good social media behavior? Um, I don't know if I buy into that quite as much. Uh-huh. It seemed to me, maybe I misread it, mm-hmm. but it seemed to me to be arguing that somehow this show was maybe just influenced, not directed, but influenced to support you know the structures or the things that like a facebook is pushing to do in terms of making authentic the identities we put online and stripping away i don't want to say privacy because i don't know if it's quite privacy is the right word but stripping away screen names and making it that we're only presenting authentic selves online and here's why i don't think that's quite the case it's because i think there's plenty of places where you don't have to present your authentic self online and that's the norm and accepted and there's plenty of forums i think reddit you know is one of the most visited sites on the internet Uh everyone has made up usernames and sure plenty of people do identify their quote-unquote authentic selves you know Mm -hmm through the work they do in some way but there's you know the majority of the usernames i ever read on that site are just funny quips or pm me blanks you know funny names and that's accepted and understood and there's plenty of other smaller forms it's the same thing it's just screen names you use and you're not expected to present quote-unquote authentic stuff and maybe that's the smaller slice you know what i mean but i think there's plenty of the internet that is still it's understood and accepted and agreed upon that you shouldn't need to present an authentic or real or transparent self Mm. certainly i think when you're getting into interpersonal relationships which i think this is always getting towards there's this expectation that you're being true and honest and authentic in that communication because there's always i think the expectation that there's a deeper relationship being formed there but if there isn't a deeper relationship i don't think there's a larger thing afoot on the internet in order to make ourselves authentic in all those things 
Okay. I guess I didn't read the article as him thinking that Facebook specifically was pushing that. But I did think it was, it felt true to me in terms Mm -hmm. of placing this show in the larger pantheon of reality TV. And that Mm -hmm. so much of it is based on kind of training someone to be better or Mm -hmm. reforming their behavior in some way. Mm -hmm. So that part read pretty true to me or like the idea because the cameras are there and they're filming everything that you're getting the unvarnished part and how like people are praised according to you know the thing that separates the heroes and the villains in reality tv or whether you're being to call back to our paris hilton bff episode if you're being real if you're being fake yeah yeah so yeah it seemed very much like this mission of you know quote-unquote authentic social media use really fit well into the form of reality tv so it's not surprising that a show like this exists and i think Mm -hmm. another interesting thing that he brought up in the article was how the shows depict on this relationship aren't people being catfished through like a specifically online dating site like okcupid but it's through people getting randomly messaged on facebook so maybe to kind of delineate what you mentioned in terms of reddit or something like that delineating this different space for what's acceptable on a platform like facebook where you're supposed to be representing your authentic self as opposed mm-hmm. to something more impersonal like a message board where you just have a screen yeah sure sure makes sense to me all right so unless there's something else you wanted to cover i think we usually like to end on where the appeal of the show lies so yeah, this has yeah. been i think seven seasons i should have written it down going off the top mm-hmm. of my head but definitely been a successful show it launched the term catfish into the vernacular apparently i'd heard of the term before i heard of the show so i guess there's not a lot of reality yeah. tv shows that can say that yep. so where do you think the appeal of this show lies jess I mean, it's pretty obvious to me. Again, it's very well made. Yeah. Before I had read the article Mike sent and dug a little deeper, recognizing that it's pretty inauthentic, mm. I was captured by most of these narratives. Sure. And I was watching along with some interest. Some of the shows we watch, Mike, you know, I hate them. I really saw <laughs> through them. Yeah. I didn't find it all that difficult to watch these. You know, they, sure. I thought they were pretty easy television to watch. And I'm not surprised it's you know popular at large. It's given so many people form connections online these days. Yeah. You know, I'll be upfront. I met my wife through an online dating service. Mm-hmm. I you know dated a few people I had met in quote unquote real life, and then having left school and didn't have a relationship with anyone at that point, and went on to you know, try to meet new people. I turned online like many people my age have done, and I you know had a lot of dates that didn't go well, but eventually yeah. did meet my wife. So I mean, it doesn't surprise me that there's a lot of interest in the show given that so many people do form mm-hmm. important lasting relationships online so you know i don't know how long they can keep this going for i guess what i wonder is how long until the you know, i'm gonna call it the truth but until the inauthenticity catches up to them because once that does i think it destroys the pretense of the show and i'm not going to watch anymore knowing what i know now sure. before i knew that i was pretty interested in the show i don't think i really would have picked it up but if i had turned on the tv and flipped over to mtv and this was on maybe i would have watched an episode because i did think it was pretty interesting television so i'm not at all surprised that it's done so well okay yeah i've heard that the later seasons are even more inauthentic (laughs) so i think maybe you know that seventh episode as we said is the most interesting so i think Mm -hmm. there's a temptation to amp it up like there's been people who've double catfished and people who fake the catfishing when they're in an actual relationship to get the people to pay for their trip Mm-hmm. So even more outlandish Jeez. scenarios that somewhat contrast to the pretty realistic scenarios in most of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. You said you were captured by the narrative, but was there something before I ruined your life and ruined this show for you forever that was particularly capturing you, aside from thinking it was authentic? Well, that was it. I mean, as I probably but there's a lot of things f- that you could think are authentic, but still find not all that interesting. Sure, sure. And I guess what I thought, because watching the first episode, thinking it was mm. authentic, it was my hope that the catfisher was getting some comeuppance, that okay. I felt that the catfishy Sunny in the first mm. episode, well, I felt that she was wronged, Yeah, that it wasn't right what the catfisher had done, and I thought there was this aspect of unmasking them, you know what I mean? Okay. Sunlight's the best disinfectant. This is probably way too strong a quote for what's happening in this episode. Sure. But that kind of idea, you know what I mean? That it's pulling back the unknown here. Okay. And I thought there was going to be this moment where I said, and I did feel it in the, watching 
watching through it. Man, this sucks for you, Sonny. But, you know, at least they kind of uncovered it. You hopefully learned from this. And no one made fun of her, and that's what I liked about the show either. Yeah. No one was going, ha ha, you're stupid. Mm-hmm. How did you fall for this? It was all just trying to kind of support her and move her forward. Sure. So I see the appeal there. I enjoyed that narrative. What just you know, destroyed for me was recognizing that the catfisher wasn't being, I mean, it's always, of course, they could ghost. You're right. They could just sure. ghost. But that they had, and all that could orchestrated the whole thing in terms of contacting MTV and going from there. Yeah. It just lost a lot of the draw for me at that point. Okay. So it was like this desire for like justice, I guess, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, I guess justice. I don't yeah. think it's you know, it's certainly not revenge. I don't think it's that strong, but this uh-huh. sense of justice and making it right and recognizing. Hopefully, the person who was catfished learns from it. it doesn't happen again, but it happened in a way. Even though it was televised, mm. it appeared that it was generally well intentioned. Until I realized that it wasn't. Sure. And yeah, this sense of justice, a little comeuppance for the catfisher, and so I enjoyed all that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's funny. I don't think I enjoyed this show as much as you before finding out mm-hmm. it was inauthentic, but I also don't sure. think I was soured on it as much as you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I think some of the appeal is honestly a little bit voyeuristic, mm-hmm. and maybe that's what turned me off a little bit, even if you brush all the authenticity issues aside and sure. it was as it was representing. There are just moments that were. Like I said, that first meeting felt very authentic and made me feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable right. in a sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even, and probably because of the fact that it was like so well-meaning or presenting itself that way. Mm-hmm. But I know that that, I mean, that's part of the appeal, right, of reality TV is this kind of voyeurism. And even as I was uncomfortable, I still found it compelling in a way even like i said that carrie and panisha episode even though there was part of me that realized that this was bullshit i did have like you that like oh that'd be like kind of cool if there's this twist and it was actually her so yeah these narratives are pretty captivating and pretty compelling and like you said Mm -hmm. a lot of people you know online relations are so much of a bigger part and i think that desire for justice that you mentioned is maybe also a kind of maybe fear is too strong of a word but like an uncertainty about how you know online has changed our relationships and changed the way we interface with each other so you can have a show like this with these investigators who get to the bottom of it and Mm -hmm. reveal the truth and kind of make everything right and so that could kind of make the viewer feel a little bit more secure and maybe a world that seems a little bit more insecure a little bit more like the wild west these guys are kind of the sheriffs that come into town at high noon and round up the outlaws yep yep no i was buying into that i guess yeah okay any final thoughts on the show or anything else you want to add no but i'm interested to know if you picked out something juicy for the next show (laughs) I believe I have. I don't know, JS, if you've heard about the caravan. Oh, I have, yes. Yeah. Or as we call it in the real news media, not on the fake news media, the Mm -hmm. terror van. Oh, I was going to call it a, I thought it was a band of rapists and criminals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for those of Sarcasm, us... please. For those who are wondering, sarcasm, sarcasm. <laughs> so for those non-American listeners, we just had an election not too long ago. And the closing argument from our president was that if the Democrats won, ISIS and MS-13 were going to pour across the border and kill us all. And right. that's what happened. But thankfully, January 20th, the new Congress isn't coming in until then. So we've got time to get prepared. So mm-hmm. I'm going to help us do that, JS, with our next show, Doomsday Preppers. Oh, I'm going to tell you already, <laughs> I'm going to love this. <laughs> I love preppers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this originally appeared on that Geo, and it's on Hulu. And we're going to watch season three. And I've already watched a couple episodes. The first one, to give you and our listeners a sneak preview, mm-hmm. there's a guy building an AT tank in his backyard in order to ward off Central American gangs and Muslim extremists who are going to invade his property somehow. Was it really... <laughs> explain to me (laughs) he's probably shitting his pants right now and the other guy casually brings up during his dinner with his daughters about how our government's gonna kill us all just like hitler killed the jews yeah and so wait we're season three you said yeah season three okay awesome awesome i may have seen some of these before oh okay yeah this is a show i like (laughs) yeah i hadn't seen it before other than previewing it for the show okay yeah it should be interesting and horrified and fascinating on equal major (laughs) yeah yeah okay i'm looking forward to this yeah 
And yeah, this is probably also our last episode before the end of the year. So hope everyone enjoys or has enjoyed their Christmas, depending on when this episode gets edited and put out. (laughs) And we did a year in review episode last year. We're not going to do this one this year because we pared back our schedule. But I'm hoping we'll get a few more episodes in the can and then do a kind of season finale in retrospective because I really like that episode. So keep on the lookout for that. And in the meantime, I'll just send this out with the usual announcements. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is 42minutesofreality at gmail.com. If you want to check out our site with the extended show notes and hyperlinks, including to that article we mentioned, you can check out our website at 42minofreality.wordpress.com. And if you want to rate or review us or subscribe to us, it'd help us out. Definitely help us move up the algorithm so more people could see the show. Or if you're already subscribed, if you want to tell your friends about our show, that would be awesome. If you have any reality TV loving people in your life. And yeah, so we will be back again next month with Doomsday Preppers. I don't know this guy. I can't just be mean to someone I don't know. Dude, you're mean to people you don't know all the time. If they deserve (laughs) it. I don't know. I'm reserving all judgments.